0: Welcome to BME Culture Happy Hour, our roundtable podcast about what we're learning, doing and creating. I'm the co-host, Dr. Joe Ledoux, Associate Chair for Student Learning and Experience in BME at Georgia Tech.
1: And I'm your co-host, Candace Chung. I'm a fourth year BME student at Georgia Tech.
0: In today's show, we have Matt and Cassidy here to share with us something about the guild, which just sounds pretty interesting in and of itself, that name. Um, And as always, we will close the show with what it is that we just can't let go of this week. Um, So before we start talking about the Guild, if you could all uh, introduce yourselves.
2: Great, yeah. So my name is Matthew Devlin. I am a third-year BME student who works in the Guild, which is also known as the BME Machine Shop. Um, And I've
3: been working there since last August. Uh, I'm Cassidy Wong. I'm a second-year BME CS student. And uh, I've been working as a shop hand uh, since last spring, so about a year now.
1: So just to for all of our listeners, what is the Guild?
2: So it's a machine shop in the basement of Whitaker, our main BME building. And we have a lot of different tools. We have uh, laser cutter, 3D printers, um, a mill, and then a CNC mill, and also some saws, and just about anything that you'd need to make a medical device.
0: So why... um... Do you call it the Guild? That sounds like a secret society.
3: I actually don't know. I think that name was dropped relatively recently, at least since, oh. I, got to, since I got to tech. Um, I know I read about it. Um, I'm not sure if it's officially called the Guild anymore.
2: It might. I think we have a sign on the door that calls it the Guild. Okay. But then since the Guild's not, Guild isn't very uh, descriptive,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I usually just tell people the shop or the BME machine shop, just, just so people know what, where it is.
0: <laughs> isn't the Guild like the people who are highly trained and who can train others and can run the shop.
3: I think that's, yeah, that's what the general group would call themselves. But uh, I think collectively we're just the shop hands there. (laughs) The the official title.
0: I gotcha. So tell me, why would you uh, want to learn how to use all this equipment? Uh, So the
3: shop is really a maker space uh, for people to, to embrace their creative side and see how they can make their ideas become a reality. So uh, I think it's a really important idea, especially for engineers, to be able to take concepts in their heads, no matter how far-fetched, and try to make those into physical objects you can kind of touch and play around with. And it's it's really special that we have all these tools here that enable you to do that.
1: Do you need training to use these tools?
2: Yeah, uh, just a little bit. So usually if you go in there, um, there's a shop hand, or maybe Marty or Raja, the design instructors, they'll be in there and, you know, more than happy to ask questions and or to listen to your questions and ask you questions about your design and like uh, help you go through the thought process of how you're going to make this thing. And then they'll actually train you on the tools you need to, to do that. So, a lot of times we'll have, you know, for a senior design or for BME 20 through 10, the sophomore design class, we will um, have quick laser cutter or um, 3D printer training so that they have a good grasp on what they would need to know to do these things and then they can come in on their own time and take advantage of them.
0: So you mentioned the maker movement, just uh, put a plug in for our other podcast, we just interviewed Steve Potter, who was a professor in our department, but he's um, leaving the professorate because he's going to spend his whole time being involved in the maker movement. So if you're interested in his perspective, you should definitely listen to that. Can you tell me, like uh, maybe give some specific examples of things that you've made and you know what you learned in the process of making them? Because I think sometimes people think, if you just want to produce something, you kind of go into the software, design it, pop it right. out. Does it ever work out that way exactly? Uh,
3: so a lot of the times the process isn't quite as easy as you might expect, especially if you haven't made anything before. Uh, so coming into tech, I hadn't really made any huge projects uh, in the past. Um, I think it was around winter time in 2014, I came up with the idea of making an electric longboard. And... Um, I ended up doing a lot of research online to see uh, what parts I needed and uh, what kind of measurements I needed to make, and I, I ended up getting the materials and bringing them to the shop. And for the over the course of maybe one or two months, I constructed a radio-controlled electric longboard, uh, and I'm still modifying it to this day.
2: Yeah, and personally, I've done a lot of um, silicone casting in there. So that we had a project for a uh, kind of a startup venture at Tech where we were trying to make these a new type of like nose plug for oxygen cannulas. And so we were able to go in there and have our CAD models, so our 3D models, and print those and then turn those into silicone rubber um, through a molding and casting process. And um, that was really interesting. 3D printing is really cool because you can take the idea that you have on the computer and print it in a solid part or print it in, you know, in a, a rigid part. Um, and that's really interesting and good for a lot of prototyping. But then if you're moving into like full-scale manufacturing or anything else you can learn a lot of different techniques like inject injection molding or vacuum farming and things like that um which we also have you know some capacity to do in the shop so it's it's really interesting to to go from that progression of having something on the computer you know going through the design process and then you know maybe you print it a couple of times see what it looks like and then you do a larger scale using different materials and um just it's a real iterative process which is really
3: nice and the process we've described is uh we, we said it's iterative, but we made it seem kind of linear, too. So we start with an idea like a, a long board or an ultimate goal, and we do some kind of work and get to the end. Uh, but the great thing about working in the shop uh, on your own is you really start to understand how much um, how valuable mistakes are. Um, so you keep making mistakes and figure out, oh, I needed to do this or I needed to know this. and uh, it'll, it'll kind of launch you into the entire design process. Uh, so you're ready to face the industry if you decide to go there. And it just gives you a really in-depth understanding of product development and manufacturing.
0: A lot of what you're talking about doesn't sound like it has a lot to do with classes. So this is something that's available for anything that you want to do.
2: Yeah. So you can use it for class if you wanted to, but a lot of the students in there actually use it, um, for their own personal projects. So let's say they wanted to, uh, you know, make a cutting board for their dad or something or for their mom. And they want to have it engraved and seal it appropriately and all those types of things. But then also for the, you know, the sophomore and senior design classes, they do use that space if they're doing kind of physical prototyping or sometimes we'll go over to the invention studio, which is another maker space on campus. And um, that's a little bit bigger and better for, um, you know, if you're doing with steel or these really, these really big projects. Um, but if you're making smaller uh, plastics or aluminum devices, the shops are really great for that. And, um, I think I honestly have spent way more time in there on my own personal projects than I have Mm -hmm. for class. Um, and I originally got started working in the shop because I was a TA for the sophomore design class. And then, um, I was in there so much, you know, showing kids how to, how to make their projects anyway, you know, I was asked to kind of stay, stick around and, you know, do that, (laughs) uh, more of a part-time kind of thing. And so, I think it's really cool just to, to be able to make your own things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've made my own skateboards and different longboards and, you know, metal ones or wooden ones or working on a carbon fiber one. And, um, it's just a lot of cool stuff that you can do. It's really enabling, I guess, that if you have the, you make the mistakes early on, but then you can really catapult off of that and, you know, you realize that you're really not
3: so limited as you thought you were right. on what you can make. And using the shop outside of class is, I think, the the primary strength. So a lot of the classes, especially earlier on, like the sophomore design, try to get engineers in that sort of mindset about thinking about how they're going to make something. Uh, But then uh, that's kind of an introductory sense. Uh, But if you spend your own time outside of class, like really thinking about what you want to make and going through the process yourself, it teaches you a, a lot more.
0: I mean, it sounds like you have, I mean, who pays for these things? Do You have to buy the materials, anything else? Is there any costs?
2: Um, The biggest cost is your own time, I would say, which is free to you. But um, if you want to have any of these like big materials, you'll usually have to buy them outside of class uh, or outside of the shop. Um, So things like wood or metal or um, some flat stuff. If you want to use a laser cutter, we do have a huge scrap heap. um, So a big cart just filled up with little metal bits and, you know, rods and different kind of stock. And if someone, a lot of times someone will have like a senior design project and then they'll have some leftover stuff that's, you know, really good. And then those paid for by their, by their sponsor. Um, and then they graduate and they don't care anymore. And so it's just sitting there. So, you know, you might have this like really nice plate of aluminum that no one's ever going to use. Um, and so things like that, uh, 3D printing is free. And so that's something where you don't provide your own material. If you wanted to have a special kind of filament or something, that that's what the 3D printer uses to print. Um... Then you could you could buy some that some of that and bring it in, but honestly, yeah, some you know, metal's more expensive than wood, but wood's not, you know not expensive at all. You could use foam, even like insulation foam or something like that, which is a really cheap uh, material to prototype. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty inexpensive.
3: Yeah, what a lot of people do is they they'll take um they'll, they'll do iterations on prototypes using the 3D printers because it's free to use. Um, or they'll get some cheap materials like uh, wood or acrylic for the laser cutter and for their final product then they can go out and get the metals and do the milling and everything
0: so at the top of this show you, you talked about a lot of different things um, which I'm not sure everybody knows what they mm-hmm. are so can you explain the key pieces of equipment that are in there and what they do great in yeah non-jargon yeah so
2: <laughs> so we have um a manual mill so that's Basically, if you think of a a spinning bit that has a two-dimensional table that you can move around and you can control the up and down so that, you know, if you it's basically a drill press if you're familiar with that where it's just a, you know, spinning drill bit that you can press down into a material but then you can also move it, you know, in the X and Y directions in a two-dimensional space so that, you know, you could make a rectangle instead of just a circular hole or something like that. And then we have a CNC mill, which is basically that except um, on steroids with a bunch of computers, um, so that you just, you can program your design in there and then it'll do it all for you. Um, and we also have a laser cutter or laser engraver, um, which is you can open up your software. So let's say you have a two dimensional design in illustrator or Inkscape, or just even just a photograph off the internet. Um, and you can open that up and send it over to the laser cutter, which acts just as a printer that's connected to a computer and then you hit go and it takes a 60 watt laser and you know, prints just like you'd have a printer uh, where it goes back and forth line by line and does the rest of your, your pattern. Um, and we have some saws, so a band saw, which is you know, used for cutting straight things or a drop saw, which we use for cutting round things and a, a belt sander, which is just a piece of sandpaper that goes around really quickly on a belt um, and you can use that to sand things as well.
3: We have a lathe, too. So lathe, um, mm. So you can kind of think of it's, it's the opposite of a mill. So in a mill, the bit would be spinning, and you would cut into the part and form certain shapes out of it. Uh, in a lathe, it turns your part, and the bit is stationary, and you would uh, kind of cut into your piece to make it, most of the time, more circular.
0: you bring back memories of shop back in middle school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you had a class?
0: Oh, yeah. That you guys grew up with? No, now? We don't, not at what? all. What is going on with this world? <laughs> I mean, when I was growing up, we had shop and we learned how to use the lathe. I made a model, you know, a rocket. Mm-hmm. Right. Willingly. That was cool. Um, But, you know, we also had to take home economics, for example, right. and learn how to cook and bake clothes, you know. So, it's interesting because it wasn't cool to be a middle school person learning how to cook and make <laughs> clothes, but I was forced to, and I actually secretly thought it was kind of cool that I could make learn how to make a T-shirt from scratch, for example. Yeah. So yeah, so that's not in today's. No, this it's is most people's first. Yeah, I think this is
2: most people's first introduction to. Okay. I mean, college is a lot of people's first introduction to cooking. Even oh, so, cooking and then making your own things and then fixing all your own stuff. Just trying to survive. Yeah. <laughs> 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 On that college budget. <laughs>
0: so i when i'm listening to you all there's two questions that are coming to mind um, well the first one is like where do you get the ideas for what to make i mean
3: so for okay so <laughs>
0: so a, a lot of a
3: lot of times for an engineering mindset you you look around you and uh pick and choose things that you say oh that would be cool to have or that that person has something i think i could improve uh for me a lot of it is uh, problem incentivized for me it was a uh, like, I really didn't like moving. So I come from Ohio, where it's not nearly as hot in, in the first few months of a uh, fall semester. So, like, moving around campus was a huge pain. And I was just, like, sweating and just suffering. It was miserable. So that's where I got the idea for an electric longboard. I, I said, what's the least amount of effort I can put into moving while moving myself efficiently? <laughs> while still looking kind of cool. So, longboard. <laughs> I actually
2: had the exact same thought process. So the first thing I ever made in the shop was a skateboard um and with the intent to put electronics on it to and putting a motor on it but then i i got so i just i thought oh you know might as well learn how to skate first so i don't spend all this money on motors and stuff like that (laughs) and i just never got around to making a motor for it and then since then i've actually been more all these things kind of kind like um build off of each other so my first thing i made was a skateboard and that was like this really big daunting task of you know trying to cut out a template on the laser cutter and you know, these different types of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But then after that, I was like, okay, so I know how to use these tools. And then I thought, what if I could make it more portable? So I made a metal one that could fold up. And then I tried writing that and it was awful. Um, (laughs) Because metal vibrates a lot when you write it and it was just bolted together and it was just an absolute mess. And I just have it sitting in my room with nothing on it. Um, But since then, it's like, okay, what if I could make a, you know, a carbon fiber one that can fold up using... You know, granular jamming and all these different these different types of things that I've been learning about on my own, and then so just you know thinking, okay, well I learned these tools, and now you're comfortable with these tools, and you know if you're good on the laser cutter, you think of all these things that could be laser mm-hmm. cut, and you you see people in them that are laser cutting things, and you just do it because it's interesting. And I actually have a Pinterest, just you know a Pinterest board dedicated to cool projects, and so I like look up different designs, and it's like almost entirely longboards, um, but a lot of different you know a lot of different gadgets mm-hmm. and things like that that I just you know, a lot of times I just, just want to make something or I, l- I make a lot of gifts for my friends too. So that's a number, that's a big thing. I, last semester I was making a lot of these, um, wooden rings. So it's called a bentwood ring. And then, you know, different types of inlays and like, Oh, what if I could do this? What if I could do this? And you just, you, it's just, uh, you know, you start somewhere and once you get over that initial, you know, imposter syndrome of, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, I'm not good enough to do this. And it's like, no, of course you're good enough to do this. Everyone who's doing it right now just made mistakes, you know, when you weren't around. right? Um, and so once you get past that stage, you're like, oh, what if I tried this? What if I tried this? What if I tried this? Cause it's, you know, it's 99% failure or something until you, you know, but the good stuff is really good and you can show people.
0: That. Yeah. Awesome. So like when I talked to Steve Potter of the other day, basically the same thing, mm-hmm. he just has problems he wants to solve. And, uh, his problems are really interesting though. He had a spinning candy dish that was levitating. God knows how he did that. <laughs> really? That's and, cool. And the, his super claim to fame is his computer keyboard, which he liked the old style because, you know, he's old like I am. So the original keyboards were kind of heavy duty and they would make a lot loud noise. Loud. Uh, yeah. And you'd have a lot of feedback and stuff and he really enjoys that. So he, he dug an old one out, but it looked hideous. He said, so he made wooden keys for them. Oh, wow. So it's, wow. Really, it's really cool. So it is really cool. Yeah. Um, and, of course, he's made a two-foot-ton microscope. Whew, that's tough. Um, so, yeah, as I hear you all talking, you did you did allude to it, the imposter syndrome and so forth. Um, you know, for somebody, it sounds incredibly intriguing, um, but it also probably is intimidating if somebody has not made stuff much in mm-hmm. their past. And particularly when you use big words like CNC and laser cutters mm-hmm. and mills. So. You know, what, what is the first steps that you'd recommend for somebody who's curious and wants to just get the lay of the land and maybe try something out? What do you think? you have advice for them?
3: Yeah, so that was definitely me coming into tech. I hadn't really made anything big before, and uh, I I think, uh, yeah, I, I had very little experience with, like, a drill press, but nothing in the wide array of uh, equipment we have in the shop now. And now I'm really comfortable there. So uh, to anyone trying to start out or thinking about, uh, making an idea come to reality, uh, don't be afraid to ask for help. Everyone has been there at some point. Um, so everyone's really glad to help. You just uh, have to know, like, you have to find people to ask and know what questions to ask. So how how am I, how should I get this done? This is my final idea. How would I get this done? And by not being afraid to ask questions, you keep accumulating these answers and you store them and then for uh, a later reference, and then when you later need them for a different project, you can call upon that knowledge and say, oh, I know how to do this now. So by creating things, you learn a lot more, and then you stop being so afraid to create new things, and that's when the ideas start coming in.
2: Yeah, I'd say the number one way to start is just think of something that you want to make, and it doesn't have to be anything big. It it could just be, I want to cut three holes in a piece of wood um, for something you want to do, and then just go in and and see if you can do it and just the hardest part is just taking that first step Mm -hmm. and getting in the door and then you know getting over the intimidation that oh all these people you know these people are look like they're doing things well and these people you know look like they know what they know what's going on but you know it's just like i don't know what's going on it just you know, i've just you know set the wrong things on fire and cut the wrong things and had to buy new stuff and it's you know it's just something where you once you walk in the door and then you know you see okay i need to cut three holes you know if it's a round hole i should probably use a round cutting device round cutting device is a drill press or a mill which is just a fancy drill press and these different types of things where you know and then you ask okay well i don't know how to use a drill press and then you find someone who works there or someone that you know is around in every I, I can say with 100% confidence that everyone that's in the machine shop is very friendly um, because it's an instructional place. It's not it's not a job shop where we're asking, hey, just come in and we'll make your part for you. It's hey, we want to co- we want you to come in and then we'll show you how to do it so you can gain that knowledge and you can do it on your own and mm-hmm. and really learn something from it. Um, so just come in and come in and ask or you know just look around and see what what we have. You don't necessarily have to make stuff on the first day. You can come in just for training to see what's available. Um, just say, hey, you know, could you train me on some of the tools in here? And we're like, sure, which ones do you want to learn? And then you're going to like, I don't know what I want to learn. I just want to see what's going on. And it's like, okay, well, let's just get started. And you'll go around and kind of see what all the tools are and the different types of things you can do and see some of the projects that are in there. Just to really, I don't know, the my favorite part of the tech is the shop. So it's just a really nice place. Yeah.
0: So is it open? What is like you just can wander in at any time and somebody will be there that you could ask about training or questions or just watch? Is that what are the hours?
2: Yeah, so it's it's typically nine to five or um sometimes longer, different different shop hands keep different hours. Um and they're all posted on the door of the shop. And so that's in the basement right off the stairs in Whitaker. And so that's a really so yeah, anytime so everyone's hours are listed on that piece of paper. So if you find you know, a shop hand that you really connect with or that, you know, maybe has done similar stuff with you, then you can just always go on their shop hours or any time that it's open, someone is typically there or someone is nearby that can help. Mm -hmm.
0: So this is kind of, in some respects, like office hours, I guess, or something. Like, I'm imagining if you're in there as a shop hand, you're probably doing stuff. But if somebody shows up Mm -hmm. who wants help, you're happy to help. Is that it? So, I mean, maybe give somebody who's new if they're worried about sort of getting in the way or or taking up your time like what is your perspective this person comes and doesn't know how to make three holes in a block of wood and you obviously know more than that Uh person so what is your feeling about this person
3: yeah so the shop hands all have their own hours and when we're in there we we are in there to help so we might be working on our own personal projects from time to time uh, but uh, definitely don't be afraid to approach us at all because um Again, we're there to help, so we can put we we'll, we'll put our own things on hold because we can always get to them and our first priority is to make sure everybody is comfortable there and knows how to use the tools there so uh, our first priority is to teach people there
2: yeah, so a lot of times the shop hands might be working on their own thing, but a lot of times they're just on their computer waiting for someone to ask yeah. them a question um <laughs> or sweeping or something so uh you know our number one, like Cassidy was saying, our number one purpose of being there is to help other students and is not only just to help it and make sure everyone does everything safely, right. and so it's kind of number one priority is make sure that everyone does it safely. Second priority is um, answer any kind of question at all, and if we can't answer it for you, we will find someone that can help you with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we definitely don't, you know, think, you know, it's not it's not like we look down upon anyone because they don't know something. It's just. They they come in and they ask a question. We're like, oh yeah, we can help. It's, there's no there's no judgment there. They're just asking. It's just a- asking a question and showing them how to do something or helping them, you know, pointing them in the right direction. There's absolutely zero, you know, thought. It's like, oh, you know, it doesn't tell you anything about your character if you <laughs> can't drill something. Right. <laughs> it's just, you just haven't drilled something before. It's just, it's just that simple and everyone understands that because we've all been there. It's
3: exactly like office hours, just like Dr. Ledoux said. Like, the, the only difference is we might look more busy because there's more, uh, more toys there for us to play with when we're bored.
1: <laughs> so like, how does this help professionally as a biomedical engineer? Or just an engineer in general?
3: Uh, so, I think Matt has done a little bit more in, uh, formal engineering things than I have, so he can speak more to how it applies. But it, it definitely teaches you the hands on skills that you would need. So, regardless of whether or not you work directly in manufacturing, having a, a solid uh, foundation and an idea of how uh, product development and manufacturing works is would be really essential um, if you're involved even distantly with that process. Because if you're designing something that has to be manufactured later, Um, You have to know the constraints of manufacturing so what types of processes can be used and what are the limitations and that'll affect uh, Kind of the form and the material that you would you would then uh, plan for that part.
2: Yeah, and so I guess with my um, personal experience a lot of times if you don't have something is Especially in a research setting that let's say you need some kind of special device for experimental setup Um, And if you don't have that and maybe it's because it's never existed before and so you have to make it yourself um, so in the shop, we have a ton of graduate students that come down and say, Hey, we need to make X, Y, Z to test, you know, rat brain dissection on this or this, or, you know, we need a microfluidic channel or these, you know, all these different types of things. And we're like, uh, okay, let's figure that out. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the number one thing is just, um, you have the power to not only see how things are put together or see, you know, or, you know, gaining cat experience because you're just making a lot of stuff and you just make a lot of mistakes while you're doing CAD anyway. But you're also learning this process of any tool that you need, if it doesn't exist, you can make it exist. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, it is.
1: So if someone wanted to uh, start working in the shop, uh, how would they do that?
3: Uh, well, normally you would approach Marty and Raja about that because they're they're in charge. They're the supervisors there. Um, and they'll let you know if there are any openings. I think currently we're pretty much full, but um, in the coming semesters with people graduating, that can change for sure. Um, I've had friends that wanted to work there, and uh, Marty and Raj will actually help set, uh, set you up with other labs that might need help. My friend uh, now works in the shop with a bio ID lab. Yeah, don't be afraid to approach them about it. One of the perks of working there is
2: getting you know full-time access, which is... Good. So a lot of, you know, you can't use a shop by yourself because that's dangerous, but you could, you know, bring a friend or something that can supervise you and just s- someone that is there to get help, but you don't have to work there to have full-time access. So you can go through different, uh, you know, a training protocol, just showing that you know how you use all the tools and you know how to be safe and you understand that, you know, you're not supposed to be there by yourself and these different types of things. And then you can gain, you know, just buzzcard card access. And so a lot of times that's why people want to work there. Um, but they don't realize that you can get, you know, a lot of the perks of working there without actually working there.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So that's it's now time for our favorite closing segment here, which is uh, what is it that we can't let go of this week? So go ahead, Candace.
1: So this weekend is Relay for Life, and I am making a lot of cake puffs and truffles for that. <laughs> I'm very excited. I love baking.
3: For me, I i can't uh, I can't wait for this week to be over, to be honest. Um, so uh, this is uh, one of the weeks where I'm getting uh, very little sleep. I'm, I'm sure many tech students are familiar with this, uh, probably like two hours a night or something. I have a twenty three ten presentation coming up. It's the sophomore design class, and my group's been working really hard. Um, And I'm excited to see how it turns out. Our presentation's Friday. And then come this weekend, I'll have some time to work on my own personal projects. Uh, Again, I'm doing modifications on the longboard. So I'm really excited to finally get that done and operational again.
0: This connection between 2310 and lack of sleep, I've heard this before.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should see his project because he actually made his own app to test it. And so it just, he's... uh, (laughs) He overkilled it, I think, but I keep I keep laughing at him because really? you see this you see this this device and it looks like you know the final iteration or something and then it's just like oh yeah we're just like just start just starting off and like you know, this fully functional like iPhone app he's like oh yeah you wanna try my app and yeah, I, I can show
3: you right here is, is that yeah, okay what we can do that about? okay so my group in twenty three ten is working on laparoscopic forceps or kind of like elongated tweezers that are used in minimally invasive surgery. And uh, we're working on in improving the uh, handle ergonomics and seeing how that affects the accuracy and precision during uh, surgical procedures. So I wrote this app for the iPhone where you're trying to hit this point as closely as possible. When you touch the screen in certain areas, it tells you how far
0: away you are. So what I'm seeing is a screen with a blue dot. Yeah. it
3: looks <laughs> very simple. it's like in in sp- incredible. Yeah, so you can start and it'll do, show you the readings and the coordinates and everything. Um, I think uh-huh. the the most fun design challenge of this was making the forceps work with a capacitive touchscreen yeah. like this. Oh, so we cool. had to use a, a metal shaft and connect a wire to the handles. It was a, it was a great experience.
1: Awesome. <laughs> They're kind of going off of that. I find it funny how you said that you've heard of the 2310 like not sleeping. We've experienced. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can <Congrats> confirm. <laughs> how
2: about you, Matt? Um. I'm really excited for uh, spring break, actually, which I know is probably a common thread among podcasts, but uh, I'm, going, I'm going to visit someone. I have a twin brother out in L.A. Uh, he's at UCLA, and so I'm going to go visit him, and then we're going to drive up to San Francisco, which is pretty funny because I'm from California, but I've never actually been to San Francisco before, <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a really great trip.
0: Are you identical twins?
2: Uh, we look very, very similar, but I don't think we're technically identical.
0: You're better looking, right?
2: <laughs> that's uh, that's what I tell myself.
0: <laughs> uh, what I can't like, of, let's see. Um, last weekend, took a break and went to Cartersville for the weekend with my wife and we saw Ansel Addams exhibit. If you haven't heard of him, he's one of the world's most famous photographers oh, from wow. the 20th century. It was pretty darn cool. And one of the things that was really cool is he's mainly known for black and white landscapes, which doesn't sound that exciting until you see them. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. And one thing is they have at the foreground is really sharp and, you know, the scenery is really sharp. And if you know anything about photography, that's not easy to do. Wow. And they are yeah. part of this group called F 64, which is refers to a, uh, the size of the aperture, which is, I didn't even know there was such a thing. <laughs> so it was really cool. And, uh, so I'm really interested in finding out what kind of cameras they use and. Maybe, you know, they're called they're called large format cameras, which uh, I never heard of before. But then I looked at the prices and I'm oh, well, maybe, maybe I can make one in the machine. shop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So, well, thanks a lot for coming. That was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, anytime. Um, yeah. So listen, for you out there listening, if you do have more questions that Candice and I didn't think to ask or you can think about later, just go ahead and either talk to Cassidy and uh, Matt personally, go down to the machine shop. But also, uh, go ahead and leave your questions and comments on our website. Um, That is gtbme.libsyn.com. So, gtbmelibsyn.com. And thanks for listening. And hopefully, you'll listen to the next podcast. And check out Steve Potter's podcast on the maker movement, which is also very relevant to today's discussion. All right. Take care.